BP added more than $70 billion to the U.S. economy last year by making investments from coast to coast. Investments like acquiring America's largest biogas producer, Arkea Energy, and starting up new infrastructure in the Gulf of Mexico. It's and, not or. See what doing both means for energy nationwide at bp.com slash investing in America. Ever thought about owning a piece of history? Introducing the Newt Gingrich Contract with America coin from Legacy Precious Metals. My limited edition silver coin celebrates the historic Republican victory in 1994, marking a turning point in American politics. Give a gift with real historical weight this season. Order now at NewtGingrichSilverCoin.com. That's NewtGingrichSilverCoin.com. Welcome to 500 Greatest Songs, a podcast based on Rolling Stone's hugely popular, influential, and sometimes controversial list. I'm Brittany Spanos. And I'm Rob Sheffield. We're here to shed light on the greatest songs ever made and discover what makes them so great. From classics like Fleetwood Mac's Dreams to The Ronettes' Be My Baby, and modern day classics like The Killer's Mr. Brightside. Listen to Rolling Stone's 500 Greatest Songs on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. On this episode of Newt's World, the United States has achieved more for human freedom and prosperity than any other nation on earth. Undoubtedly, we owe our success to those who fought and in many cases died to protect our ideals. In Greg Jarrett's amazing new book, The Constitution of the United States and Other Patriotic Documents, he has created a beautiful keepsake volume for every American patriot. This collection was printed in the United States and includes the Constitution, the Declaration of Independence, the Bill of Rights, select Federalist Papers, and the Articles of Confederation. Also included are the writings of generations of Americans who have built upon the Founders' legacy, including Frederick Douglass's July 4th speech on the hypocrisy of American slavery, Lincoln's Gettysburg Address, Susan B. Anthony's proclamation on women's right to vote, Albert Einstein's warning to President Franklin D. Roosevelt about the atomic bomb, and Ronald Reagan's call to tear down the Berlin Wall. Here to discuss his new book, I am really pleased to welcome back my guest, Greg Jarrett. He is a former trial attorney and the New York Times bestselling author of The Russia Hoax and Witch Hunt. He is a legal and political analyst for Fox News, where he was an anchor for 15 years. Greg, welcome, and thank you for joining me again on Newt's World. Well, it's always a pleasure, Mr. Speaker, and I appreciate your kind words. This new book, The Constitution of the United States and Other Patriotic Documents, is something I'm really proud of. You know, I spent the better part of two years coming through archives and libraries, and I put together what I think is a tribute to the many patriots who made this country so great. We are this luminous beacon of hope for liberty, prosperity, and justice throughout the world, the envy of so many others. And in this book, you can find collected, carefully selected, and then explained by me. Some of the most important documents, the spoken words, the written words that changed history, 
these are the galvanizing ideas and the noble and inspiring words by great American patriots. They are virtues, our aspirations, our achievements are all contained in this one book. And, you know, I mean, I think it makes a great holiday gift under the Christmas tree or for Hanukkah or whatever. I would actually encourage people to not buy one, buy two and give one of them to your child's teacher because they don't teach this anymore in American public schools. Our school system has absolutely failed young people. And you know, I think we need a reawakening to rekindle our faith in the greatness, the exceptionalism of America. First of all, I think you're right. And this is the kind of book that could be given out as a text in every civics class in high school and in college, and I think could have a significant impact in reminding people we're not an accident. We are a system that grew in amazing ways. I can't jump straight into this book without reminding folks that you joined us on Newt's World last May, and we discussed The Trial of the Century. It was a brilliant podcast where you talked about Clarence Darrow and the famous Scopes Monkey Trial. And I have to say, I really am very proud of that podcast. But what made you decide to shift from Clarence Darrow to focusing on the founding documents as your next book? Your range is interesting to me. Well, thanks very much. You know, as a lawyer, I was inspired to become a trial attorney because of Clarence Darrow. I idolized him. Yes, he was a liberal and agnostic. I am decidedly neither, but that didn't matter. His ideals is what moved me. And so I became a lawyer. But at the same time, I was a political science major. You, of course, a distinguished history and politics professor. And, you know, I've always turned to the Federalist Papers, the brilliant work of Alexander Hamilton and John Jay and James Madison is really this sort of Bible of what our Constitution means. And I wanted to expand on that. Now, people don't read the Federalist Papers anymore. And look, I get it. It was written more than 200 years ago, and it can be difficult to get through, which is why out of the, what, 78 some odd essays in the Federalist Paper, I selected three of the most important that define each branch of our government, explain how it should work, why it should work, and what was the intent behind it. And then it just sort of morphed into so many other great patriotic addresses and speeches and pamphlets. I mean, Thomas Paine's common sense is extraordinary. It gave birth to America. You know, people were reticent about declaring independence from Great Britain. Thomas Paine galvanized Americans Resolution is our inherent character. Courage hath never failed us, he wrote. Everybody in America was reading Thomas Paine. It was printed in newspapers. And that changed America and so many other great Americans. The warnings by George Washington and John Adams. Of course, you mentioned Frederick Douglass, a real highlight in this book, two of his most powerful history-changing speeches, and of course, Abraham Lincoln, and then the suffragettes, Elizabeth Cady Stanton and Victoria Woodhull and Susan B. Anthony, their call for equal rights for women, 
Teddy Roosevelt goes after corporate corruption. Franklin Roosevelt calmed America in a time of desperation with his fireside chats. Ronald Reagan, four of his greatest speeches are in this book, the most notable of which is, of course, when he stood at the Brandenburg Gate in Berlin and he challenged Mikhail Gorbachev to tear down this wall. And of course, two years later, the wall came crumbling down and with it, the Soviet communist empire and the end of the Cold War. Talk about a great American patriot, Mr. Speaker, who changed not just American history, world history. You mentioned earlier the importance of courage. I've talked to a number of people, including George Schultz, who was the Secretary of State and the writer of that speech with Reagan. Every senior advisor opposed saying it, every single one of them, up to the point where they had breakfast that morning, they all opposed it. And on the way to give the speech, his chief of staff tried to talk him out of it. He'd actually said something similar in 1967 when he was governor. He went to Berlin and he said, that wall sure is ugly. They ought to tear it down. So it had been in the back of his head for 20 years. And he just cheerfully ignored all of them. And Schultz told me the story that Reagan sent the original draft over and the editor at the State Department took out, tear down this wall. Reagan hand wrote it back in, sent it back a second time. He took it out. And Reagan then called Schultz and said, Georgie, you need to explain to your editor that I am the president. They are not. (laughs) It stays in. But again, something which all of his advisors thought would be absurd. The CIA said the Soviet Union would be around for at least 30 or 40 more years. They said it would just irritate Gorbachev, achieve nothing. Became, in many ways, an iconic example of the power of courage and clarity and the power of words to change history. I think you're including it here is exactly right as an example of how American courage can, in fact, help shape the world. Oh, absolutely. It took great courage for Ronald Reagan to do that against the demands and wishes of everybody around him. You know, but Ronald Reagan and look, I lived in California for 30 years. He was my governor back then. I paid careful attention to him. You know, he was vaulted onto the national stage with his time for choosing speech in 1964 on behalf of Goldwater. He became the unabashed voice of conservatism. And of course, it led to his presidency in 1980 in his inaugural address. He uttered the famous words, you know, we should utter them to ourselves every day. Government is not the solution to our problem. Government is our problem. And he was so right. And, you know, he had incredible understanding of the American spirit of patriotism. And he was an instinctual politician. He knew people. He studied people. He was sort of like Clarence Darrow, Mr. Speaker. You know, he understood the motives that move men and women. And he spoke to them. And the thing about Reagan was he was so authentic. Yeah, he was an actor and people dismissed him because of that. But no, he was the real deal. He was truly authentic. And that always came through when he spoke. And you'll see it here in the four speeches in my new book.
Across America, BP supports more than 275,000 jobs to keep energy flowing. Jobs like updating turbines at one of our Indiana wind farms and producing more oil and gas with fewer operational emissions in the Gulf of Mexico. It's and, not or. See what doing both means for energy nationwide at bp.com slash investing in America. I've always been a strong believer in the importance of investing wisely. That's why I've personally invested in Legacy Precious Metals. At Legacy Precious Metals, they're not leaving your financial future to chance. They're on a mission to help you secure your financial future post-retirement. In partnership with them, I'm thrilled to announce the launch of the Newt Gingrich contract with America Coin. This limited edition coin is made of one ounce of 99.99% fine silver, commemorating the historic moment when, against all odds, we balanced the budget for the last time in U.S. history. This coin isn't just an investment. It's a piece of our nation's history. And now you can own it. As the holiday season approaches, it's the perfect gift. You can purchase yours today by calling 866-484-4043. That's 866-484-4043. Or order online at NewtGingrichSilverCoin.com. That's NewtGingrichSilverCoin.com. Witness the dawning of a new era in automotive luxury with a reveal unlike any other. As Infinity presents... A new chapter in luxury. The premiere of the all-new 2025 Infiniti QX80. Join us March 20th live from the Edge at Hudson Yards in New York City. Featuring an unforgettable performance by Grammy and Academy Award winning singer, songwriter, and composer, John Batiste. The all-new Infiniti QX80 is unlike any luxury SUV you've ever seen. Smart enough to anticipate your needs, even before you do. Every line, curve, and detail was thoughtfully crafted so everything for every passenger feels just right. Don't miss it. Mark your calendars and be the first to see it March 20th at 7 p.m. Eastern, only on iHeartRadio's YouTube channel. Save the date at new-qx80.com. 2025 QX80 coming this summer. At the time that the Founding Fathers were talking through how to create a republic with a constitution with the rule of law, this was a very, very rare thing on the planet. Every monarch, every king, every czar, every emperor had a vested interest in not having the American system work. And the Founding Fathers took very seriously not just rebelling against the British, but establishing a system which would protect the American people from their own government. And that's why in the Constitution and the Bill of Rights, you have this. And when Lincoln says that the Civil War is a test of whether this system or any system so devised can endure, he's really talking about what he sees as the existential moment, one which I think we're drifting back towards now, of whether or not you can have self-government where a free people have enormous freedom within the rule of law but have to recognize each other's mutual rights. And I think you capture that in this book. Thank you. You know, I tried to, I included especially and purposefully, John Adams' letter, his famous letter, Thoughts on Government. 
And while he was essentially an ambassador overseas, he and they, you know, were considering a constitution because the Articles of Confederation were dysfunctional. They weren't working. America was spiraling into debt and about to collapse. And he sent over to America his sort of outline of what a government should look like. You know, three branches of government, a bicameral legislature and so forth. And that became, to some extent, for many members of the Congress then, the template for our government. And yes, there had historically been sort of attempts at this sort of thing, Romans, Greeks, but it really was a genius set of letters that John Adams composed. And of course, there were others like Jefferson who helped expand on that. And they came up with this government of the people, by the people and for the people. It was a bold new idea. And it was one of the great genius acts of leaders who were resolved that people should run their government and government shouldn't run the lives of people. And so I wanted to include that in the book. There are several other writings that extrapolate, and it's an important part of American history. Well, I think that it leads to an understanding that this is a system that is imperfect, but as all the founding fathers concluded, was probably as close as you could get with human beings to perfection, because in fact, as Madison writes at one point, if men were angels, you wouldn't have a problem. But since they're not angels, how do you govern the people who are going to govern you? And in a sense, the Constitution, people forget that the Constitution in many ways is designed to protect the people from the government. It makes it one of the most amazing creative achievements in human history to have had this group of people, you know, on the edge of the American continent without any automatic claim to fame, achieve something that's so remarkably historic. I think you capture the sense of American exceptionalism and how unique the system is. Yeah, the least imperfect government is the best government, as our founders wrote, and they were right about that. You know, we strive for a more perfect union, as our founding documents state. But that's aspirational. Perfection is an impossibility because we are imperfect people that are instituting that government. And you can certainly go through history. And in my lengthy introduction, in which I go through, you know, two centuries of American history, I talk openly about the terrible mistakes were made, the Faustian bargain by our founders to kick the can of slavery down the road, the cruelty, the deprivation of human bondage, as aptly described by Frederick Douglass, was, as I say, this Faustian bargain. The founders were so determined to get the Constitution approved by the states that in about a southern state's they capitulated on demands to perpetuate slavery. And it was a terrible choice. I understand why they did it, but they left it for future generations and people like Abraham Lincoln 
to resolve it. And of course, with enormous bloodshed, 640,000 people killed as a percentage of the population back then, that was enormous. And that doesn't even account for the civilian deaths. And the nation was torn apart. The steadfast determination of Abraham Lincoln and so many others, and Ulysses S. Grant and General Sherman and so forth, it was a turning point in American history. We could have gone the other way and dissolved into chaos, divisiveness, fractionalism, but right prevailed in my judgment. And that's in the book. You have on the one hand, Washington's steadfast persistence, where he just methodically moves forward despite defeats, despite frustrations. People often forget that, you know, he's in the field for eight years with one visit to Mount Vernon, and he just is determined to outlast the British. On the other hand, with Lincoln, you have this amazingly sensitive intuition about how far you can go at any given moment. And you see him from relatively early in his career when he first is opposed to slavery, but understands that you can't come across in Southern Illinois as an abolitionist or that you have no political future. And so you see him gradually evolving and allowing events to create opportunities and then consistently taking the opportunities in the direction of a stronger union and the abolition of slavery. And it strikes me that Lincoln in some ways may well have been our greatest president in terms of his ability to guide and lead. I think Washington in terms of character as the person, he is the indispensable man. It's his shoulders we all stand on. But I think when you watch Lincoln, he once said that with popular sentiment, anything is possible. Without popular sentiment, nothing is possible. Something I think Ronald Reagan instinctively understood. And you capture this in the sections about the Civil War period and about Lincoln. But it strikes me that he's unbelievably central to the survival of America. Oh, absolutely. And, you know, I've always believed he was our greatest president. I agree with you about Washington. We do stand on his shoulders. The entire country does. He set the important precedents for how a chief executive should behave and how the executive branch should operate in relation to Congress. But Lincoln is this amazing, extraordinary human being. I mean, this is a guy who was so eloquent. His masterful oratory and his writings as well. And you have to bear in mind, this is a guy who never went to school. He had less than a year of education. I think it was roughly in you know elementary school. He learned it all from reading books. He never went to college. He never went to law school. He studied the law. He would walk miles to borrow books and read them. He didn't have a photographic memory, but he certainly absorbed and retained so much information on a wide variety of subjects from history and logic to mathematics and science. He was so well read. And this comes across in the many speeches that I include from Lincoln in my new book, The Constitution of the United States and Other Patriotic Documents. And his open mind was also something to be admired. You know, during his first term as president, African-Americans were not allowed into the White House, essentially. He wanted to meet with Frederick Douglass. They became confidants. 
And there's a moment in his presidency when Douglas comes to visit the White House. I think it was right after the second inauguration. And there's a room full of people and everybody becomes very quiet when Douglas walks in and Lincoln cuts the tension with a knife and he turns to Frederick Douglass and he says, ladies and gentlemen, here is the man whose judgment I trust more than anyone else's. A remarkable moment in history. And of course, when Lincoln was assassinated sometime thereafter, Frederick Douglass wrote this beautiful tribute to Abraham Lincoln saying he was the wisest, noblest man he had ever encountered, and quite a relationship between those two. I want to ask you a question because I was thinking of you and your tremendous ability to educate in academia, in Congress, as Speaker of the House. We played a clip last week of a man on the street asking fundamental questions about civics, basic questions about American history. Most of the people who were questioned and provided answers absolutely flunked the questions. And it was stuff, Mr. Speaker, like what was the Revolutionary War about? Who won the Civil War? Why did they call it the Cold War? Some young woman said, well, let's see. Yeah, I I think it was very chilly back then. You know, the temperature was low. I mean, oh, my God. And I thought. You know, we are producing in American education a collection of idiots and morons, and that's a little harsh. I fault the powerful teachers union led by Randy Weingarten. They care more about, you know, their fat bank accounts and pensions than they do about educating American youth. Why have we failed so miserably in that? Well, I think it was in many ways deliberate. I think that the progressives, beginning with John Dewey, felt that facts were conservatizing and that if you could have a focus on feelings rather than facts, you could produce people who are much more malleable and therefore could be shaped. Because again, the progressive movement education was against American civilization. It had the belief that American civilization was inherently bad and it wanted to create a utopian future in which everything would be wonderful and warm and fuzzy. If anything's understated, there are five high schools in Baltimore in which not a single student can do math. Not one in five high schools. Now, this is a catastrophe for the children. It's a catastrophe for the country. The teachers' unions are a major impediment to reform. The intellectual framework of the schools of education are hostile to a fact-based, historically-oriented, and achievement-based learning system. I think it is, in the long run, the greatest single crisis in our culture that we are producing people incapable of earning a living, incapable of being citizens, incapable of understanding the modern world. And you can't do that very long. Jefferson warned about that and said that anybody who thinks you can be both ignorant and free clearly misunderstands the cost of freedom. I think you touched on something really, really important. I did want to mention about Lincoln because he is so astonishing. You know, he's the only president who has a patent. He had invented a device for raising steamboats, and he patented it. So if you go to the U.S. Patent Office, the one presidential name is Abraham Lincoln. And he did that in passing. I mean, 
This is why a friend of mine once said that Lincoln cheated because he was a genius. It's not fair to compare him to anybody else because he was so astonishing. BP added more than $70 billion to the U.S. economy last year by making investments from coast to coast. Investments like building charging hubs for fleets of electric buses in California and starting up new infrastructure in the Gulf of Mexico. It's and, not or. See what doing both means for energy nationwide at bp.com slash investing in America. I've always been a strong believer in the importance of investing wisely. That's why I've personally invested in Legacy Precious Metals. At Legacy Precious Metals, they're not leaving your financial future to chance. They're on a mission to help you secure your financial future post-retirement. In partnership with them, I'm thrilled to announce the launch of the Newt Gingrich contract with America Coin. This limited edition coin is made of one ounce of 99.99% fine silver, commemorating the historic moment when, against all odds, we balanced the budget for the last time in U.S. history. This coin isn't just an investment. It's a piece of our nation's history. And now you can own it. As the holiday season approaches, it's the perfect gift. You can purchase yours today by calling 866-484-4043. That's 866-484-4043. Or order online at NewtGingrichSilverCoin.com. That's NewtGingrichSilverCoin.com. Witness the dawning of a new era in automotive luxury with a reveal unlike any other as Infinity presents a new chapter in luxury. The premiere of the all-new 2025 Infinity QX80. Join us March 20th live from the Edge at Hudson Yards in New York City, featuring an unforgettable performance by Grammy and Academy Award-winning singer, songwriter, and composer, John Batiste. The all-new Infinity QX80 is unlike any luxury SUV you've ever seen. Smart enough to anticipate your needs, even before you do. Every line, curve, and detail was thoughtfully crafted so everything for every passenger feels just right. Don't miss it. Mark your calendars and be the first to see it March 20th at 7 p.m. Eastern, only on iHeartRadio's YouTube channel. Save the date at new-qx80.com. 2025 QX80 coming this summer. You raise something that I think is often understudied. That's Theodore Roosevelt, who arguably was the most popular president since George Washington. The teddy bear was named for him. It was Teddy's Bear in honor of a cub that he did not she refused to shoot when he was out west hunting. He was wildly popular at the time. What was your take and why did you include Theodore Roosevelt? Well, Teddy Roosevelt was launched into the presidency by assassination at the dawn of the century. And you're right. He was this charismatic, gregarious man, which stands in contrast to this sort of pitiful little boy as he was growing up, stricken with asthma and all kinds of health problems, and retreated to his room in New York City, in Manhattan, where the family lived. And he read books. 
And his father got him to undertake a regimen of exercise. And he built up his body. And he became, of course, the Teddy we know, right? This strong, vigorous, vibrant figure who was dedicated to the great outdoors and all kinds of activities. But he, you know, in the Gilded Age, monopolists and robber barons were a real problem. And of course, Roosevelt took them on fearlessly with the promise of a square deal for every man, big or small, rich or poor. One of the things he did was he resurrected the sort of moribund legislation involving antitrust and which precipitated new antitrust laws. The Sherman Act was put into place and made of use. And Roosevelt cut down the big guys to size and it helped the American consumer because monopolists were creating high prices, unaffordable conditions. It was an economy in which only the rich were benefiting. So Roosevelt changed the American economy in so many different ways. He sued (laughs) successfully. And I mentioned this in my book, so many different mega companies back then. And he set, I think, the sort of roadmap for today's antitrust use. I took a class in antitrust in law school. (laughs) I think I did better in that than any other because I found it so fascinating only because of Teddy Roosevelt. So he had to be in my book. Given the range just of your two most recent books, what are you thinking about working on next? My wife is forbidding me from writing any more books. (laughs) And she rules the roost. I'm sure you can appreciate that, Mr. Speaker. I don't know. You know, I was thinking about doing a follow-up book to Clarence Darrow, a natural sequel to the first book, The Trial of the Century, because he had two incredibly important cases, one before and one after the Scopes Monkey Trial. And if anybody came to love Clarence Darrow as much as I did after reading my book, I think they'd like to learn more and see more. You know, in To Kill a Mockingbird, Atticus Finch goes against the popular tide in the small southern town and defends an African-American defendant accused wrongfully of raping a young white woman. And in that same vein, so did Clarence Darrow. When a black family was set upon in their own home by a mob of KKK, they dared to defend themselves. And, you know, the doctor, Ossian Sweet, was charged, the homeowner, with murder. Nobody would defend Dr. Sweet except Clarence Darrow. And how he won the case is astonishing. And I think it's a story that has never been told and needs to be told. And, you know, he delivers this closing argument. And even the judge has tears streaming down his face. That was the greatness of Clarence Darrow. I think they should make a mini series on Clarence Darrow for Netflix because he was the greatest trial lawyer in American history, in my judgment. And there's almost nothing about him. That was a fairly famous movie, I guess, a generation ago. Well, there was 
the movie with Spencer Tracy, Frederick March, and Gene Kelly, which was called Inherit the Wind about the Scopes Monkey Trot, but it was a fictionalized version. And oddly enough, with that great cast, it was in black and white, came out in 1960. It was kind of a flop. You'll see it, you know, late night on some of the old movie channels. AMC, I think it is. But, you know, what I discovered when I went to the Dusty Basement Archives in Dayton, Tennessee, where the trial took place, it was closed at the time, but I got a key and I went down there and I discovered the original trial transcript of the Scopes Monkey Trial. And it was different, naturally, because Inherit the Wing was fictionalized. A lot of it was made up. Some of the characters were not just made up. Others, true characters were embellished. They even changed the names. That's how fictionalized it was. And there have been a couple of movies that were, again, fictionalized versions of variation on the famous Leopold and Loeb murder case, which captivated the nation back in the 1920s. And I have thought, and again, that was Clarence Darrow who defended Leopold and Loeb. America was demanding that they be hanged. And as despicable as their crime was, kidnapping and murder, to see if they could get away with a perfect crime. Clarence Darrow did save their lives with a two-day-long closing argument about capital punishment. And, you know, I read about it first in Irving Stone's great biography on Clarence Darrow. And it shaped my opinion about capital punishment. And you can read some of Darrow's closing arguments in several books, all of which I've read as well. But, you know, that might also be another book I'd be interested in doing. Well, hopefully, after you've had a few months off, your wife will get tired of having you around the house and say, why don't you go write a book? Yeah, I think she's already tired of having me around the house. That's been going on for about 30 years. Yeah, that's right. A friend of mine once said that she said to her husband, I married you for better or worse, but not for breakfast and lunch. <laughs> that's hilarious. What can I tell you? Listen, Greg, I want to thank you once again for joining me. I think every time we do this, I think they're great interviews, great podcasts. You're such a professional. And I think what you've done with this new book is really to create a collector's item for every patriot and for everyone who wants their children and grandchildren to be patriots. The book is The Constitution of the United States and Other Patriotic Documents. I recommend our listeners get a copy as a holiday gift for friends or family and check to see if their local schools can use it in their civics classes and others. And so thank you very much for joining. I always learn a lot from you, from your books, our discussions. Your books are terrific, and they're a must-read for everybody. And I always read them, and I always learn something new in them. And thank you so much. I'm grateful, and it's my privilege to be with you on your podcast. Thank you to my guest, Greg Jarrett. You can get a link to buy his new book, The Constitution of the United States and Other Patriotic Documents, on our show page at newtsworld.com. Newtsworld is produced by Gingrich 360 and iHeartMedia. Our executive producer is Garnsey Sloan, and our researcher is Rachel Peterson. The artwork for the show was created by Steve Penley. Special thanks to the team at Gingrich 360. If you've been enjoying Newtsworld, I hope you'll go to Apple Podcasts and both rate us with five stars and give us a review so others can learn what it's all about. Right now, 
Listeners of Newt's World can sign up for my three free weekly columns at Gingrich360.com slash newsletter. I'm Newt Gingrich. This is Newt's World. Infinity presents a new chapter in luxury. The premiere of the all-new 2025 Infinity QX80. Live March 20th from the edge at Hudson Yards in New York City. Featuring a performance by John Batiste. The all-new 2025 Infiniti QX80 is an SUV designed to help every passenger feel just right. Be the first to see it March 20th at 7 p.m. Eastern, only on iHeartRadio's YouTube channel. Save the date at new-qx80.com. Don't miss it. 2025 QX80 coming this summer. Ever thought about owning a piece of history? Introducing the Newt Gingrich Contract with America coin from Legacy Precious Metals. My limited edition silver coin celebrates the historic Republican victory in 1994, marking a turning point in American politics. Give a gift with real historical weight this season. Order now at NewtGingrichSilverCoin.com. That's NewtGingrichSilverCoin.com. Welcome to 500 Greatest Songs, a podcast based on Rolling Stone's hugely popular, influential, and sometimes controversial list. I'm Brittany Spanos. And I'm Rob Sheffield. We're here to shed light on the greatest songs ever made and discover what makes them so great. From classics like Fleetwood Mac's Dreams to The Ronettes' Be My Baby, and modern day classics like The Killer's Mr. Brightside. Listen to Rolling Stone's 500 Greatest Songs on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts.